Hello, folks. Uh, welcome back to another riveting, ex- uh, riveting episode of CIOs and, and bow ties. Uh, we're going to take a bit of a pivot this time. Um, we've come across, we haven't come across, for the longest time we've known about the, the concept, let's call it tax alpha. Uh, and tax alpha is essentially what it is. It's, it's, it's uh, arbitrage on the tax side as opposed to arbitrage on the investment side. And um, with my guest today, Fraser Rice, who I, I will introduce formally in a second, we're just having an informal chat uh, offline, and we're just saying how much easier or more elegant, should I say, is tax alpha than investment alpha. Investment alpha is kind of you know, future returns, unknowable. Tax alpha is, is essentially um, reading through the code and, and, and structuring through code, uh, obviously in a tax mitigation legal way. So a uh, different, different beast, and the two actually do intersect. Uh, investments and tax alpha, uh, and we'll deal with that in our last segment. And you sure you definitely want to catch that because we'll be discussing things like opportunity zones, solar credits, uh, and the like. But anyway, let, let me not get ahead of myself, Raze. Uh You have the ignomious, um, the ignomious uh, benefit of being the second time on our podcast. You were one of our first guests, so we're really honoured to have you on board. And um, let me give you I'm a little bit more. Thrilled to be back. <laughs> I made the Let me cut. give you a little bit more. Yeah, you made the cut. Indeed, you did. So Fraser is a regional director for Pendleton Square Trust Company. He focuses on relationship building in the Northeast. Uh, Fraser, you're, you're actually a, uh, a lawyer, if I'm not mistaken. You're with the New York State Bar. Um, so, yeah, true. Guilty. Um, so that's where you cut your teeth. He helps uh, the team developing and implementing fiduciary strategies uh, for large family relationships. Uh, Fraser is the author of a book called Wealth Actually, which I highly recommend. Uh, Fraser and I go back a number of years where we kind of both cut our teeth back in the Wilmington Trust days. He was a managing director with deep fiduciary expertise at Wilmington Trust, responsible for over $11 billion of client assets under, and, under management and administration. Um, as I mentioned, he was with the bar. He actually served, uh, He actually was with Emory University here down in Atlanta, so we do have some uh, subsection. Uh, he's an avid golfer and uh, a media producer, a movie producer, and um, I, I'm wondering how that's going. Let's see if we can fit that in. So, Fraser, I will let you get a word in edgeways. Welcome to CIOs and Bowties. Uh, Greg, I'm thrilled to be back. And yeah, I was one of the first ones back in the day. And uh, your background, uh, you've got uh, the uh, Versailles Palace behind you, it looks like. So, uh, you're moving up in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My families are a little probably bigger than the ones that you're, you're servicing. Uh, anyway, um, just kidding. So listen, let's let's jump in. And there's a few nomenclatures which I just need to uh, understand. Um, uh, but before we do that, okay. So let's just talk about the the environment that we're finding ourselves in. That uh, it seems to be a bit of a dangerous environment for clients. So let's kind of set this up for us, if you will, around what kind of environment are clients facing as it comes to estate, um, gifts, trust, etc. Sure. So obviously we're in a significantly volatile period in terms of investments. Uh, The environment for investing is always going to be tricky. You can't tell what's going to happen from day to day. Things go up, things go down, and you add into it a huge curveball with the COVID environment. Uh, which has put a real crimp into uh, the way people think about things. It's introduced a level of uncertainty that has probably not been felt at this level, certainly since 2008. 
Uh, and so people, many investors are facing this for the first time. Uh, many business owners are, have uh, sort of discovered touching the stove again as it relates to uh, their businesses and whom their customers are, whether they're buying, uh, what their real estate looks like, things like that. So you've got a massive set of uncertainty at the investment level. Uh, that trickles up, uh, I'd say, to the government level, where uh, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, budgets, uh, both federal and state and, and, and municipal on down, were predicated on a rather smooth ride and a smooth revenue stream from people and businesses that were going to be paying taxes uh, in a, what I would describe as a fairly rising uh, quality of earnings environment. Uh, that has now been cast into complete doubt. Uh, witness at the federal level, uh, we've printed $3 trillion, and I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, and, you know, you have sort of Stephanie Kelton out there saying uh, that via my, modern monetary theory that you can continue to keep printing and that there really won't be many ramifications on that. That's up for debate. I'm not an economist. Yeah. I, haven't got, I haven't gotten through her book, so I don't know. Uh, I, I sort of reserve the right to think whether it's well, a good it, idea it, or not. It reminds me of the definition of insanity, right? You're doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Right. Uh, so at the federal level, uh, spending has gone way up to try to provide some support structure to the environment, to the economy and to the businesses that underpin it. Uh, at the state level, and I'm seeing this firsthand, I live in Manhattan, uh, the state and city uh, of New York are looking at city $9 billion in deficits, state $13 billion. Uh, and so you've got a scenario where uh, you've got uncertain markets, uncertain economies, uncertain businesses, massive deficits at the government level, federal, state, et cetera. Uh, that tells me taxes have to go up and services have to go down. Um, you go into it uh, in November. Uh, we have what I would describe uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek as a very binary election um, in terms of outcome. If Trump wins, uh, you're going to have one set of uh, thoughts as it relates to tax policy. And if Biden wins, you're going to have a different set of thoughts as it, mm -hmm. as it returns to tax policy. Uh, anytime I make a prediction on elections, I'm usually very wrong. So I'm going to get away from that. But it, the polling looks like it's sort of tilting toward Biden. So if you were an investor uh, or a business owner looking at that, you're saying, okay, uh, I think that we are... Uh, we're at a scenario where the uh, outcome of a democratic uh, sort of victory is going to be an increase in taxes uh, and either an increase in services or a decrease in services. But in any event, there's going to be a, a, someone is going to be seeking revenue from you in some way, shape or form. Uh, so that's sort of the tax environment. It, it looks to me like taxes are going up at the federal and the state levels in order to close different shortfalls. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a low interest rate environment, which is a whole different economic thesis, but essentially the Fed has uh, made it their mandate to keep uh, interest rates low as a way to also prop up the economy in addition to the different funding that's uh, sort of coming And asset prices, I would say. Yeah, no, exactly right. And, uh, uh, and so you, you look at low interest rates, uh, that creates uh, fixed income challenges, but it also creates a lot of different um, opportunities uh, with different types of planning, which I'll get into in a second. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's what we're looking at there. I, I think that um, 
the one other component, uh, just from a general level, is that from uh, as people look at their situations personally, uh, the work from home phenomenon is something that is, I think, uh, not well understood yet. I think people are digesting what that means. Uh, I can take my example in New York, where uh, I really haven't been to a proper office in four months, mm-hmm. but uh, or even longer than that. Well, you should it, see what I'm really wearing, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not at the Palace of Versailles. I'll give you, I'll give you a clue. <laughs> no, it, 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 we we all get sort of uh, sportscaster wardrobes where we all look normal from the waist <laughs> up, and then it's uh, you know board shorts and flip flops on the way down. Uh, no comment. Yeah, uh, and so the work from home component, I think, is another thing to think about, and it doesn't relate directly to tax policy yet, but it might because as people start to re-engineer their lives around what it means to work uh, either for their employer or for themselves, uh, that may take them away from different jurisdictions that they were used to being involved in, and. I'm getting a lot of phone calls already uh, from people who uh, have New York City focused uh, jobs who are saying, well, you know, I haven't been in New York pretty much the whole year. Do I have to report, you know, New York City Uh taxes? And in our world, that's important because that's 4% versus not 4%. And the answer is that uh, you probably have to pay the 4% because the employer uh, has a place of business in New York. And while COVID has mandated that, uh, you can't go in or it was difficult to get in one way, shape or form. You working from home this year is probably deemed a convenience. Uh, So what people are going to start thinking about uh, is at the business owner level is, you know, do I really need New York city? Um, And, you know, could I do the same thing in Stanford or Westchester County or New Jersey and uh, go a different route and avoid that 4% uh, New York city tax? Florida. Or well, and then Florida, then you Nevada. avoid, then you're avoiding a whole yeah. bunch of different Tennessee. taxes up to exactly. uh, 14 plus percent. And we'll get into yeah. this too. California is looking yeah. to raise theirs to maybe 16 to 17 percent. Um, yeah. So anyway, so the work from home component, I think, is uh, is something that's uh, going to have a big impact on tax planning for a lot of people, um, and it's something that uh, we don't understand well yet. I think the different jurisdictions are grappling with what it means to work from home and how that relates to sort of the messy, uh, the messy intersection of domicile and residency and where you work and where your source income comes from and things like that. So uh, that's okay. sort of the background. And that's, that's part of the stew that uh, advisors are trying to look around the corner and advise clients on how to arrange their affairs. Um, I would tell people, especially those who feel like that, you know, from either from a work from home environment or they picked up and moved out to the country and sort of treated this as a, a way to take a break and learn how to, you know, sort of deal with their business affairs via computer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the concept that uh, you're able to use this as a, a way to change jurisdictions, I think you're going to have a tough fact pattern uh, in uh you're going to have no fact pattern when dealing with the federal government necessarily. But if you're trying to play reindeer games with your state or your city, um, be prepared to have that looked at with scrutiny uh, this year. But that's not to say that you can't start building uh, 
you can't start building your, um, your fact pattern for next year, which could be useful, especially if you're thinking about selling a business and you're thinking about avoiding state, uh, state ramifications on that. Okay. Whew. There's so much there. Don't know where to, where to begin. So the first <laughs> anecdote is, uh, I believe, I've, I've, I, this is an anecdote, I can't prove this for sure, but I believe what the IRS has been doing is uh, basically triangulating your, your, cell phone, um, uh, your cell phone pinging, basically, to see what cell phone stations, uh, what stations your cell phone has been pinging over to actually figure out what jurisdiction you've really been um, residing in. So that, that's kind of interesting. I'm sure there's ways around that. Um, let's actually talk a little bit more about that because you've kind of whet my appetite on it, so to speak, and that is kind of setting yourself up for 2021. Now, I know you've, we've got a number of individual items to go through, um, but how should somebody think about setting themselves up? Let, let's say this work from home thing continues, um, you know, and let's say you, you, we all seem to be becoming more of a, the contractor type worker than the W-2 worker. So just give us, you know, a few top of the mind ideas about this, you know, how would you set yourself up for 2021 just, you know, at a high level? Sure. So um, I think that the, uh, I'm I'm most used to New York, which is the most brutal state to escape from uh, when it comes to this type of thing. Maybe in California. Yeah. Yeah, both uh, roughly equivalent New York, New York City, especially. I mean, they, they they hunt you down. Uh, So let me, let me sort of take this uh, up a step. Uh, If you are not sort of a W-2 employee and less geographically dependent, and you're able to pull up your tent stakes and manage uh, your economic affairs accordingly. And that also includes things like, uh, you know, if you really are able to sort of move away from your community, uh, schools, churches, uh, synagogues, things like that, um, that, that's, that's, that's a big deal. And many times the way I kind of think of it in terms of living in New York city is I'm paying 4% uh, to be a part of a club that I like to be in. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and so you have to be willing to sort of divorce yourself from that in order for it to uh, in order for it to make sense. Uh, so if you're setting yourself up, though, and you have the ability to manage your affairs uh, from anywhere, uh, the first thing I would do is sort of divorce yourself from the idea that 183 days is enough. Uh, most people, for, sort of from a cocktail party perspective, they say, oh, you know, I'm, I can be out of the state, you know, 183 days plus. Uh, that's my fact pattern. New York state's not going to come after me. Uh, that, that is not enough. Uh, you need to, you, there is a whole cottage industry about, uh, surrounding separating yourself from, uh, uh, New York and you get into complicated concepts of domicile and residency. And it, essentially what happens is that if you either domiciled or a resident of New York, New York will take the position that you owe them New York tax. Uh, to make a long story short, you have to make, uh, I would say an affirmative, uh, break from New York and you have to make a semi affirmative commitment to a place. Uh, so a break from New York, an obvious break would be to sell your house or your apartment and move, uh, and then to change your car registrations and change where you're voting and that type of thing that, that signals to New York that, uh, you are leaving. 
Uh, you do not plan to come back. New York can sometimes take the position that, oh, you know, you're moving, you're going to come back in a year, that type of thing. Uh, you want to have an affirmative break. You have to set up your fact pattern around that, uh, which, you know, this becomes tricky when people have, let's call it the second house in the Hamptons, uh, where you don't want to sell it. Uh, you have unfettered access to it, which is a term that's important for yeah. New York purposes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and you're trying to really get, you know, sort of establish yourself somewhere else. So for people who want to go to Florida, let's say, essentially they will set up their set of facts leaving New York, and then they will set up their set of facts going to Florida. Uh, and so if you go down there and you're, and you sort of can establish that, uh, Florida is your home, as they call it in tax or in the tax world. Uh, that that will help you build that uh, fact pattern uh, to avoid New York taxation. So if you buy a place there, you have your clubs there, your churches and synagogues, mm -hmm, your cars mm -hmm. are registered there. You spend a lot of time there. Um, that's really that, that's what it comes down to. And there there it's strange because there is no there are no bright line rules on this, but uh, if you are someone who can pull up their tent stakes and go, um, what I tell them is, you know, there's, there's a certain set of things that you should probably do, uh, sort of leave, affirmatively leave the one, the New York, and then affirmatively go to a place for a year and really sort of build the fact pattern, uh, so that when you get audited mm -hmm. and you'll get audited, uh -huh. Uh, you can come back and say, look, this is it. Uh, I, I left New York and you prove that and I am in Florida or I'm in somewhere else and I can prove that, uh, you'll have a better case in case they come back at you. Okay. You, you're most likely to be audited by New York state yes. from what you're saying. New York yeah. state, New York city, uh, especially if you have, you know, this, this comes in a lot of times when people have a, uh, sale of a business, um, uh, or some sort of significant issue, sort of windfall or uh, economic event that's positive. Uh, yeah, they, they will come at you. Okay. Uh, interesting. Again, anecdotally, I, I'm curious, how many of your clients or your colleagues are, are actually entertaining leaving New York now? Well, so I would say that, uh, the, the stream of inquiries is constant. Uh, wow. and it's always, you know, what am I doing here? This is crazy. You know, I'm spending a lot of money, uh, mm. on, on taxes. Um, I, it, it evolves as people's lives evolves to evolve too. you know, once the kids mm -hmm. are out of the house and you know, they start thinking about that type of thing, that can be a different yeah. uh, driver of, of change of venue. Um, I would say it has really started to tick up uh, recently, though, because uh, the New York State has been fairly uh, aggressive. Uh, the, uh, the State Senate and the uh, Assembly and then the New York City Council are very aggressive publicly talking about raising taxes for the wealthy. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, well, we're going to raise taxes on billionaires but it's actually sort of crept down into the millionaire level and mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of the, the, the tax bite for the highest earners is 13.8%. That's New York city resident. Um, and mm -hmm. it's, I think the, 
a couple of things that I've seen have started to look like they're going to bump it up to 15. Um, and that's at the state level. And that also includes capital gains tax. Uh, California is talking about similar things. They, they don't have city taxes like New York City does, but the state tax level, I think, is at about 14%. And they're talking about moving it to right. 16 to 16.8%. So, uh, you know, for those people uh, who have potentially great economic events coming, uh, you know, why, why not try to arrange your fares in such a way to keep yeah. 15% back in your pocket? Yeah. Uh, you know, for, for, those, yeah, for yeah. those people who are earning, that's tougher to do because they're sort of geographically dependent. Right. So that's right. just, that's sort of the cost of doing business. But for people who have, uh, who are managing their assets essentially and aren't mm -hmm. geographically dependent, uh, that, that, those people, that, that is a, um, it's a constant topic for discussion and it, it's accelerating, uh, especially, Considering, especially yeah. as the election rhetoric starts coming in and you start hearing about Biden yeah. having sort of increases in taxes and at the state level. Yeah. 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 Deficits, deficits everywhere. Not a drop to drink. <laughs> right. Okay. We're going we're to take a short break, um, but I just want to make sure that the audience sticks with us because um, in the next segment, what we're going to speak about is just kind of tools that you think uh, one should be looking at and employing uh, on, from the tax code, essentially. Uh, and then in the third part, we're going to be looking at more investing programs, opportunity zones, solar credits, et cetera. And, and in the third part, phrase, what I'm going to throw in there is if you're on the cusp of selling a business, um, you know, some advice there on how somebody should think about that structuring such a transaction. Because I think, you know, frankly, the, uh, a lot of the baby boomers and the, and the world has moved to a point where there's a lot of businesses, small as well as medium sized, that are being sold on a very regular basis now. So um, I definitely want to get your advice for, for our listeners on that. Great. Sounds good. All right. So bear with us, folks. Uh, we're going to take a short break, a short breather, and we'll be back for part two of CIOs and Bowties with Fraser Ross.